The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Jim Shapiro. Sitting in today for Vena Jones-Cox, who is, I believe, uh, working at a Ron LeGrand uh, seminar, and uh, I'm filling in today. I've got a guest with me today, Brian Brockman, who's a local realtor. Uh, Brian will be speaking tomorrow at the Cincinnati Real Estate Investor Association main meeting at 730 at the Community Action Agency in Bond Hill. If you want more information about RIA and uh, Brian's topics, we'll be talking about tonight, uh, you can go to CincinnatiRIA.com and get all the information. We've got uh, two other speakers tomorrow night. Uh, one is an experienced investor about how she's adjusted her portfolio uh, to adjust to the changes in the market. And the other is uh, Vina's doing a workshop on for new investors on, uh, excuse me, an attorney's coming in to talk about asset protection entities and, and how to how to get things set up in your business. So should be a good, t- good night tomorrow at the Real Estate Investor Association. Welcome, Brian, and happy to have you here tonight. Thank you for having me. Uh, your topic is uh, really, well, we could talk about HUD foreclosures specifically, and I know we'll get into some other ones, but we're going to talk tonight about uh, the insider secrets of an REO agent and the topic of HUD foreclosures. Uh, HUD is Housing and Urban Development. Uh, let me start with what's a HUD foreclosure and how does that differ from a bank foreclosure or a Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae foreclosure? Right. There is a difference. Uh, HUD actually does not foreclose on any homes. Uh, um, HUD-owned homes are actually FHA loans that were foreclosed on by their original lender. So here locally, uh, you know, your local bank, you know, one of the bigger banks, Fifth Third, U.S. Bank, and the loan is insured by the FHA. And the, uh, once the bank completes a foreclosure, part of the insurance process is the house is deeded to HUD, who then moves forward to sell it. Okay. Uh, how do you search for HUD foreclosures? How do you find them? Right. They're all listed on a website. It's HUDHomestore.com. And uh, that is that is the most up-to-the-minute um, source for all the listings. I actually... Uh, we run about a couple hours behind. So actually, when a property gets listed on there, and it's one of my properties, I don't know, probably for about another hour or two. Okay. I also see that often there's, I'm a realtor as well. And I'll call up the agent, and they'll say, I'm not even sure. And they have to go look at the HUD home store, because <laughs> things changed in the course of the processing, too. Correct. Correct. Uh, if HUD accepts an offer, they'll find the HUD, the home store site will be changed before you even find out? Right. Actually, when an offer is accepted on a HUD property, it just disappears on the website. It's kind of funny. They, they'll they put it up when you put the address or the case number in. It'll just say, uh, uh, it'll give the zip code where the property's at and say unavailable. 
So uh, that's how you know the property has been uh, another offer has been accepted. So even if the even if the realtor website still has it active, if it's disappeared from the HUD website, it means HUD may have accepted an offer. Right. I've been through that a few times. <laughs> and my clients are always, but it's on the MLS. It's on the MLS. And they're very frustrated by that. It's understandable. And uh, I, it, it's frustrating, but there is a little lag time there for them processing the paperwork. Now, you know, our audience is a lot of investors, and we often make offers ourselves. Uh, is there any reason a, an investor can't just make an offer? Them? Can an investor get a login and make an offer through the HUD Home Store, or do they have to have a realtor do it? No, anyone can actually get on the HUDHomestore.com website and search the properties. Uh, to make an offer, you have to be a realtor, and you have to have uh, sign up and get an account okay. with HUD Home Store. Uh, there's a couple things I see on the uh, some terms used on the HUD Home Store site. Uh, one is exclusive, extended, or lottery for the uh, listing period, and then insured or uninsured, or insured escrow. Could you let's start with the uh, exclusive, extended, or lottery? What right. does that mean? Well, it, let's kind of kind of first go back to what HUD's mission is. They want to stabilize the neighborhood, so uh, their idea is that by promoting owner-occupied sales, they can stabilize neighborhoods and help the neighborhoods' prices recover from the foreclosure. So. Ideally, they want to sell to an owner-occupant first. So the part of these uh, these different periods, uh, the exclusive period and the extended period, that is so uh, only owner-occupants can bid on the house. So on the exclusive period, it's usually uh, 10 days, and it's owner-occupant bidding only on the house. And after that period, it's open market. Anybody can bid. Well, no. <laughs> if the okay. house is... Uh, if the house, I'll say, is in, in good condition, um, it'll be marked as insured or insured escrow, and uh, I'll go into that in a second. Okay. But after the initial first 10-day period, uh, if no acceptable bid uh, is sent to HUD, they'll extend it for another 20 days. So it'll be owner-occupant only for the first 30 days of that property. Oh, so instead of saying it's a 30-day period, it's a 10-day period, and then another automatic 20 if they don't get an owner-occupant. Correct. But the, the the interesting thing is where they do the bidding. On the exclusive period, they take the bids over a 10-day period, and, and it's kind of a sealed bid. Then they open them all up on the 11th day. Oh, so okay. what will happen is on the extended period, they review the bids daily. So it, it's a little different, but, it, again, they're still trying to accomplish their goal of of finding an owner-occupant for that house. And only the houses that are insured or insured escrow get the uh, stay in the extended, exclusive and extended periods. Now, what the difference is, uh, it's and that's more to do with the FHA financing. So I know a lot of investors may not know, but you have a standard FHA loan. It's called a 203B loan. Uh, those those would be like your standard FHA, three and a half percent down. There's no repairs needed, uh, and then the there's a two or three K loan, which is the rehab loan. What HUD does, uh, and because some of the properties need some work to basically get it up to to FHA standards, they'll put an escrow on the account. So say some of the faucets broke and it needs a new dishwasher, what they'll do is they'll say it's insured escrowed. And the buyer will have to increase their loan amount by, say, $1,000. So that's what the insured escrow is. So when they get their financing, they can get standard FHA financing, and then that money is added on top 
of the uh, of their financing amount. So the houses that have no copper <laughs> and no fun- aren't livable, those would be uninsured. Those are uninsured. Okay, so there's no escrow there. Buyers just know they're going right. To have a there's lot a five day period where it's owner occupant only, and then it's open to investors after oh, that. Oh, so uninsured is five day owner rock. It'll actually be marked as exclusive for that five days, and then after that five day period, it'll move to uh, to the extended where oh, to the open period where anyone can bid on it. And when it's exclusive, they'll open the bids every day and pick the right. best bid. Right. Okay. Well, there's a. That's an interesting setup they have. <laughs> we have to stop for a quick break here. So we'll be back in a few minutes uh, with Real Life Real Estate Investing. Good afternoon and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. This is Jim Shapiro sitting in for Vina Jones-Cox. Uh, if you have cu- questions or would like to call, please call us at in the Cincinnati area, 513-772-9658. Outside the area, call at one 772 And we did have one question came in uh, from Bob. Uh, Bob asked, when you're making an offer on a HUD property, what is your recommended formula for lowest allowable offer? Some of my peers say 13% to include the broker commission yet stay above the HUD minimum. You know, that's, uh, we're going to you know, talk about that question about you know, how to how to price your offers and understand the system, and let's you know, try to address that as we talk about. It. So let's talk about pricing on HUD offers. Right, it, uh, for investors out there, I've heard many different theories on what HUD will take on a on a property. So yeah, go ahead. One quick interruption. If you want to email your questions, please send them to askvina at gmail dot com. Askvina at gmail dot com. Sorry to cut you off. No, you're ahead. fine. The uh, so basically, what the the chance to say get the best deal on a property on a HUD owned uh, home is to wait until it's been on the market ninety days. Uh, most of the most of the properties prior to that, they're going to stick pretty close to the asking price minus the realtor commissions. So uh, my advice for investors looking for really good deals. When HUD wants to uh, get rid of properties, it's the aged inventory, the ones that are 90, 120 days on the market. Uh, and that's where you can get some good deals. So when they say, now I'm not sure when he says uh, 13%, if he means 13% less than the list price? Yeah, so I think he's saying, and in, in to include the commission, so basically like 19% off of the list, the current list price. Um you know that may work on a on a property that's been sitting on the market for a while. Uh, I mean, initially out of the gate, even in the first thirty days, on the on the if property was an exclusive and it goes extended to where investors can bid on it after that thirty day period. On the thirty first day, you know you may have a shot of getting it, but it depends. I mean, there could be fifteen offers on it. So a lot of these properties, you know, there there's a lack of in, REO inventory in general. There's a lot of interest in it, so it's interesting to hear you say a lack of REO inventory. That's really a shift in the last couple of years, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, it goes against all reason. Actually, you would think the uh, we're in the worst uh, real estate market and probably since the depression. And uh, you know, our last stabilized real estate market was in 2003, and that year there were about 700,000 foreclosure sales. Last year was not a good year. 
and there was only 450,000 foreclosure sales. But there's a lot of reasons behind that with the government and uh, some of their programs with the bank bailouts and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of scary, but let's not even get into yeah. that. There's often some statements on the – when I go to the HUD home store, and in red text it always says, availability of home is subject to asset manager removing the home from the market or subject to a bid from an earlier period. What does that mean? That's more of a disclaimer, and I'll tell you when this pops up, is when people put bids in on Friday. What will happen is if it's on daily review – They'll open the bids up for every day. So there'll be bids submitted, say, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then maybe someone submits a bid Monday morning. Well, they're not open on the weekend. So when they review the bids, it's Monday morning. So they start with Friday, review those bids. So what happens sometimes is, say, someone – we'll say a house was priced at $100,000 to make the math easy. And say someone puts in a bid for 92000 on Friday – but say someone saw the house on Saturday and put a bid in for 95000 On Monday, when they open the bids up, if the 92000 met the threshold for HUD, they'll accept the offer. Okay. So it gets people frustrated. So an so, earlier period could be yesterday. Right. It's not the earlier 30-day period or 15-day right. period. It's just going to be a couple days, yeah. It's just whatever the last time they looked was. Correct. Okay. Uh, let's see. You uh, – you had a little article and a, and a little handout. I know you're going to be speaking at Rio tomorrow. You showed me the handout. It looks great. When uh, you say people are not making offers properly, right? what does that mean? Uh, one, uh, they're not using the right realtor. Um, what happens is if you, if you use a realtor not experienced with making submitting uh, offers on foreclosures, they don't understand the different processes. Every bank, whether it's HUD, Fannie, Freddie, uh, regional bank, a local bank, uh, national bank, they all have certain forms they would like. Some like to have uh, certain documents with the offers. And what happens is a lot of the times the listing agent will put the instructions on the MLS, but they're not followed. So when the offer is submitted, some of the banks will refuse the offer and they don't even want us to submit them to them unless all the documents are there. So they may have a good offer, but if the paperwork's not in line, the offer's never going to get there. I had a case recently at a Freddie Mac. The buyer signed his name a little bit differently in two different places. And it, it turned this offer, there was a week of back and forth. Because in one place he signed his name, you know, Glennard. In one place he signed it Glenn. And... So yeah, I guess those those little things can really, really uh, railroad or uh, divert an offer. Yeah, from- most definitely, and you get it with people that say want to buy through an IRA. Well, and then they have to have certain documents for it, but they submit the offer as you know Joe investor or, or Jane investor, and then want to switch to an IRA. Well, the bank so sometimes they're in or they're inside procedures; they can't do that. So it's if you're going to be prepared to how you want to take title of the property and make the offer in that name when you make the offer. Now that's what happened on this one. The offer went in the way a brother filled it out, and then the other brother signed it differently, and we uh, we ended up having to redo that two different times. Right. Uh, with multiple trips back and forth to the other bank, other uh, realtor. Uh, <laughs> I use the analogy all the time where if you went to your family practitioner and they did some blood tests and they found out you had cancer, you know, would you go and say your sister's a heart surgeon? You wouldn't go to her to solve your 
your cancer issues, you would go find an oncologist. And it's the same with realtors. You may have a family member or a friend that's a great realtor, but they don't deal in foreclosures and they don't understand the market. It's like there are plenty of agents out there to do it. Find one that specializes in it. It's going to save you time and it's going to make you more money in the end. Your, uh, your article talked about if you're making an offer with a line of credit or private money, that's cash to HUD. Is that right? Well, I, I mean, to HUD, it's, it's cash anyways. But, yeah, to most lenders, I, you'll get some where mistakes made where they'll, they'll say it's a finance deal. Well, realistically, if it's a line of credit, you could go tomorrow and pull the cash out just like it was in the, your savings account. So market is cash, and that's another way people lose out on deals to where they're not properly filled out. That's always frustrating. Uh, your article talked about waiving all contingencies. Now, on these HUD properties, what, what are acceptable contingencies? And the follow-on question is on seller contribution towards closing costs. Right. Well, in gen- well, I'll say HUD, first of all. For an investor offer, there are no contingencies. You put the money up. If you bail on the contract, you're going to lose your earnest money. HUD does not negotiate that at all. If you're a homeowner and you're you have inspection contingencies or financing contingencies, they'll most likely return your earnest money if you're going to be an owner occupant. So with a HUD property, I always advise investors, it is as is, where is, and make sure you're okay with the property as it sits uh, if you're going to move forward. So and, and, and on any REO, you know, it's always good to just know your number, go in and stick with it, you know, build in a cushion there. Uh, I know when I always personally did rehabs, I always built built in an extra ten percent for the the hidden things that always came up, you know, with a rotted floorboard or, a, you know, <laughs> and whatnot. So you have to build that in when you make your offer. Now, I'm working on this one right now, and uh, when we made the offer, there everything had been stripped out of this four family, no kitchens, no bathrooms, and and then there were four furnaces. In the period between we made the, we made the offer and had it accepted, and now the ongoing delays, because it turns out after all they're rushing us, they don't have title yet. Right. And they're saying two to four months. Uh, now the furnaces have been vandalized. Right. Could you go back to HUD and say, or Freddie Mae or Fannie Mac, and say uh, the condition of your property has changed, you didn't keep it secure, and you know, we made an offer with four furnaces right. in the property. Yeah, I mean that's lender specific. Yeah, you know, some are more uh, more giving. I'll say uh, they're understandable. It, most of the REO agents I know they they're out checking the properties every week, so we stay on top of these issues as they come up with the vandalism. But it does happen, and when it does, it depends on the lender. I've seen it to where they said, "Okay, yeah, we'll give you a five thousand dollar credit," or we'll or, or a lot of times they'll say, "Okay, and just let you out of the contract." They'll relist it, and then you just have to bid again. So Okay. And this same one, uh, after we had the offer accepted, when we first saw it, the building was all wide open. Right. Uh, the listing agent sent their prop- their management company. They, they secured it. Not only did they secure the back door and the front door, they secured all the apartments. Right. So the next time someone broke in, they kicked open all the apartment doors. Right. It's like none of that was damaged <laughs> before. You know, why did you have to do that? But go figure. Uh <laughs> Regretfully, over the years, it used to be the local broker would take care of the uh, any type of maintenance issues with the property while it was on, while it was being listed. But now the the banks, since there's so since there are so many properties, they switched to national companies, and uh, 
the service isn't as good. I'll de- we debate that all the time when we meet. But uh, I think on their billing in, it's more convenient for them. So uh, that's why they do it. But that's why you get those mistakes all the time. Well, I just – yeah, it's frustrating because now there's a bunch more damages that weren't there. Right. Uh, is there really a difference whether the listing agent is given the earnest money check or the buyer's agent? Some banks request that ha- that, that happens. I think it's just easier to give the listing agent the money. And the, the reason is there are some areas of the country where that's standard practice. Our area, it's not, and uh, and that's the problem. These banks are used to dealing on a national basis, and that's kind of the national norm to do. So that's why they request that. All right. Uh, I've got a few more questions. What else can you tell us about HUD, and then let's talk about maybe the differences from some of these other ones. Any other comments about the HUD market and what you encourage people to look for? Yeah, it, it, with HUD – it, the key is just to be patient. They're gonna, they're the top lender right now. I think they're doing about seventy percent of the financing of all purchases in the Cincinnati area. So three, three, four years from now, they're going to be the primary source of foreclosure. So it's good to learn the system now. But remember, you're dealing with the federal government, and it, there are a lot of procedures, and it takes a lot of time. So I, the key is just to be patient, learn the system, give it time. You're going to win on some and lose on others. But yeah, I want to come back. It, you said the HUD properties are going to be a growing percentage? Right. Yeah, HUD usually, fi- FHA, normally in a normal market cycle, finances about 20, 15 to 20% of the purchases. Right now, they finance about 70%. I think most realtors out there will agree with that, that you know, they're the primary lender because of the 3.5% down and the tightened lending standards from the other banks. So you think that's going to result in more HUD foreclosures? Eventually, yeah. It's just going to take a few years. All right. Well, we've got another break coming up, so uh, please uh, stay with us. If you have questions, please uh, call in to 513-772-9658 or 877-772-9658 and send your emails to askvina at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Jim Shapiro here with Brian Brockman talking about the the HUD foreclosure process and the HUD foreclosure marketplace and a little bit of some of the other. Uh, We had a question come in, Brian, and actually I think uh, we kind of addressed this earlier. The caller might have missed it. Uh, And then we've got one on the phone, too. Uh, This question was, my agent showed me a HUD property that was active in the MLS, and then we went to the HUD website, and it wasn't there. She says this happens all the time. So you kind of mentioned that before. What does that right. typically mean? Yeah, so what happened there was there's a lag time from the listing agent getting notified that the property's been accepted and offer's been accepted on the property. So I always advise the agents, we try to put it in our showing instructions, to check the HUDHomestore.com website first before going and showing the property. But before you submit your offer, it's always wise to check that. And if it pops up with the property zip code and the search function, you know it's uh, – you know it's uh, unavailable. Okay. Uh, we've got Tom from Tucson. Hi. Hey, Tom. Welcome Hi, Tom. to Real Life Real Estate. Uh, well, I was wondering, uh, how much money do you have to go in? We'll say that you had four properties. Do you need $1,000 for each property and, or percentage? Or how much money do you need to go in to do it? Uh, do you mean how much money in terms of the earnest money? Right. Okay. Yeah, HUD bases the earnest money on the sales price. So 
if it's under fifty thousand dollars, so if it's forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars, the earnest money is five hundred dollars, and then uh-huh. everything over fifty thousand dollars, the earnest money is one thousand dollars per property. Per property. So if you had six of them, you'd have to be three thousand dollars. Then correct. Yeah, depending on the sales price. Now okay. I have. Now, Tom, I have. You know, part of that depends if your if your agent, the buyer's agent, is holding those earnest money checks. You know, yeah. they may not deposit. If you make six offers, I don't deposit your six thousand dollars in my trust account until I get an offer accepted. If I'm working now, maybe I'm supposed to, but there's a, you know, people re- routinely will make multiple offers. Right. When I work with investors, usually I have a relationship with them to where we know they're going to move forward with the property if we get it when we submit the bid. So when we submit, we submit the bids online, so you don't actually have to send in the paperwork. For the bid, so the bid submitted online, you get the acceptance, and then you have forty-eight hours to send the earnest money and the signed contract uh, to the asset manager. Right. So, in, in my case, I would normally, when I make the offer, I include a copy of your earnest money check, and then the day that offer is accepted, I mail that check to the listing agent. So that, you know, probably there's ways to work that that you don't have six thousand dollars sitting in in a broker's trust account. Right. While you right. wait to see what happens, because you know, a lot of investors are making multiple offers, and most likely the broker's not going to want to hold their earnest money without a signed contract, anyway. So, right. you know, I would submit the offers, and then if they get accepted, then uh, drop off the and the earnest money check has to be in certified funds, so a bank check or mm-hmm. a money order. Okay. Any other question, Tom? So, about the only thing you have to do to make sure that you don't get messed up. Is to have transitional funds handy. Yeah, you you, you're have, you're going to need to have this. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if you you know, I, I've seen investors. Uh, I've actually worked with investors that have made offers throughout the state. So they've met, mm-hmm. they've made twenty, thirty offers on properties. You just need to make sure you have enough money to a. If you got actually got all the offers accepted, that you would have the money to put up for the earnest money and actually to close. But realistically, you're not going to get that many. Uh, offers accepted. I mean, you may get one or two, depending on okay, how high thanks. your offers are. Yep. So uh, let's talk about how HUD comes up with their pricing. What is the what is the process? I know there's an FHA appraisal. What else goes yeah, on? Yeah, it's a unique system, and what they do is they send an FHA certified appraiser to the house, and then they do a full appraisal on the property. And the lenders, if a buyer goes FHA, they're required to use that appraisal. So that's where that insured escrow number comes that we discussed earlier. Uh, the appraisal will set that amount from the property condition report he received and determines the value. Now, I also, or the listing broker, submit a broker price opinion to them on what we think the property's worth. But our input is just noted. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the pricing. So whatever the FHA appraisal comes back at, so again, to make the numbers easy, if it's $100,000, they list it at $100,000. But we're human. We make mistakes. And that's where investors can make money on HUD deals. If the, if the appraisal is too high, then the property is going to sit on the market. And then when it sits on the market, that's when it gives the investors a chance to come in. And as it gets more aged, they're willing to... HUD's willing to take less money for the properties, and that's when a deal can be had. So in the over time, investors can benefit when the appraisals are overvalued. Right. 
Because owner-occupants don't get them because they're too expensive. Right, or they just know. I mean, you know, people look online for six months now before they buy a house, so they know what the prices are in the neighborhood. And, you know, probably sometimes the property was marked uh, insured escrow, and it really shouldn't have been. It should have been uninsured, and then that'll kick it to where it'll last longer on the market, and that gives it a chance for an investor to come in. What's the most escrow they might ask? Uh, It only goes up to 5,000. Okay. So after that, then they'll they'll move it to uninsured. uninsured. Uh, I've got another question, and then I want to come back and follow up a little bit more on pricing. But this is related. Uh, we got a question from Mike in Minneapolis. Uh, Mike says, "I've heard that there's a secret that HUD has a secret formula <laughs> where they drop the price every 32 days, and if you know when that is, you can get it for the lower price by making an offer the day before. Is this true, or just an urban investor rumor?" Yes, I I think these same people know who shot JFK, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't know. I've heard it all the time. I've talked to many investors that claim they know the magic formula. I've seen them make bids. Um, I don't think their magic formula works all the time. It works sometimes. Um, you know, I've heard twenty percent off the list price. I've heard eighty six percent of the original appraised value. I mean, there's all kinds of different formulas out there. The key is. You have to be consistent with your bids. You incrementally raise them a little bit and then stay in play. Because what will happen is when you get a property that's been on the market for 90, 120 days, they're looking at they want to get rid of it because they know the longer it sits on the market, the worse condition it's going to get be in, and they're going to lose more money. So eventually they just get to the point where they get rid of it, and then you want to be there. And you, if you had the active bid on the day, the email comes down to the asset manager saying, hey, you have too many in your age portfolio. You can now accept offers outside our acceptable range. Then you're going to win. It does happen, but you have to. it's more on the aged inventory. And to a certain amount, there's a little bit of luck in this. I mean, it's, it's, it's being prepared and having your offers going in consistently. And sometimes it's being your offer came in the day that the broker got that instruction to do something. Exactly. So even as it's got a, I have a lot of clients who pull their hair out over this process. Right. So the right. idea that, gee, it's kind of dumb luck sometimes. Sometimes it's just dumb luck. But it's a matter of finding a professional realtor that knows what they're doing, that's willing to sit there. Like every morning I have investors I put bids in for, and it may take an hour or two. But I know, and I'm not going to make a lot of money off the deal, but it's just a matter of I know I'm going to, sell them several houses. So I don't mind putting the bids in. And it's every day we enter bids in. So it's just the investors out there that are interested in it, that's what you're going to need to do to be successful bidding on HUD homes. All right, let's talk about the difference between that, again, the HUD and the FHA appraisal process and pricing and the Freddie Mac, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. Right. They they also do appraisals. They get other opinions. from. They get a broker price opinion from the listing agent, and then they also get broker price opinions from outside agents uh, in their network or outside agents that actually aren't affiliated with Fannie and Freddie. And then what they do is they kind of do a formula and kind of a median of all those prices, and uh, that's how they determine the value. So they might get multiple broker price opinions? They do. Okay. Um, Every house. Every bank I know that I work with they may not tell you they're doing it, but they're doing it. So, <laughs> how many do you think they're typically looking? I'd at? say at least three on average. Uh, some I know are five or six, and uh, and then they kind of square the values from there. And it's to stop the you know fraud and and uh, 
And when and that's where a lot of these systems have come up, whether it's HUDHomestore.com or Fannie Mae with HomePath.com. You know, the offers get submitted online because a lot of the agents complain, well, the listing agents aren't submitting our offers. So the the solution to the system, to this problem was we'll do these online systems. And now I hear all complaints all the time from the agents, oh, I can't stand HUD, HUDHomestore.com or I can't stand HomePath. Well, you know, at least you know your offer's in there. Yeah, and it, it kind of takes out right that question, gee, is that agent working with her good customers who buy a lot of houses and, and you're the first time you've made this offer, you're not going to get taken seriously. So I know those questions have come up as well. I guess that makes sense. Uh, none of us as bad as Equator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, there's a system I haven't met a realtor yet who likes. Uh, now, let's... Uh, Sometimes you'll see a situation, I know you've got a story you can tell us, where I make an offer of 47 on a property, and it gets turned down, and two weeks later, I see the property's pending, and a month later, I go look and see it sold for 36. And it's like, geez, I made an offer of 47, and they turned me down, and they sold it for 36 two weeks later? What's... What's the story in those cases? Yeah, the problem is it's a government and and not the business and not business. So the the they have to have a system that's standardized for the whole entire country. Uh, Guam, Hawaii, the Marshall Islands, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands. So they have listings everywhere in the United States and even in the non-states. So they have to have one policy that fits everywhere, and uh, that's where the system came in. And that's just how it works. When the when the message comes down that hey we're ready to sell this property, take whatever offer we have. If your offer is not current, you're so not going to get it. What was that example you, uh, you were? Yeah, so about. I had a property here locally. Uh, I won't give the address, but uh, the set it up. I thought the property was worth about seventy five thousand dollars. The initial listing was for one hundred and thirty seven. So the appraiser brought it in about fifty thousand dollars high. Now, how can an appraiser bring in a property, you know, sixty-six percent higher than its real value? I sometimes wonder if they were actually in the house, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I don't know. I see them all the time. I, I probably have four or five listings now that it's the same way, and I, I think the problem with it is, is they look at the numbers, but they don't go through. They don't actually sell a house. So if you have a house with a hot tub, like a double layer deck holding a hot tub. You know, the average buyer is not going to want to deal with ripping that deck off, but the appraiser is going to look at it and say, well, you could throw some boards over it, and that's a $500 fix. So, because they're not actually taking, you know, the, a first time home buyer out to, to buy a house. So, I think that's where we get the, get the difference. All right. Well, I want to hear the rest of this, but we've got to take a break and we'll come back and we'll finish your. Uh interesting example you showed me. Uh, if you have questions, we've got one more uh, segment this afternoon. Please call us at 1-877-772-9658 or locally 513-772-9658 or email to askvina.com. Hi and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. This is Jim Shapiro. Sitting in today for Vena Jones-Cox, and I'm here with Brian Brockman, uh, 
a very uh, successful realtor in the Cincinnati area who does a lot of work with HUD and foreclosure properties. Uh, Brian, let's go ahead and talk about this example, and then I'm going to ask you the 10 keys to a successful offer. Great. So what was your, your this example you started Yeah, about? so I was saying I thought this property was worth about $75,000. It was a nice property. It was kind of rural, but it had a you know, pond in the back, a couple acres. But the house was rough. It had some discoloration, as the uh, banks like to use the term. And uh, anyways, we thought it was worth around seventy five. The initial appraisal and the initial list price was one thirty seven. So naturally, no one's going to bid on it. They walk in, they see the drywall fell down from the roof leak. There's more discoloration on the walls, and uh, so we it, the property sat on the market. So at ninety days, they decide to reduce the price. So you see, like some people were saying before, like well, HUD automatically reduces the price every 30 days. That's not the case all the time. So on this one, they didn't reduce the price for 90 days. They reduced it to 109000 So they dropped it about $30,000. Again, we had no offers. So 30 days again, so about 120 days into it, they reduced it to 95000 So I had an investor that likes to buy in this area. I told him about the property and uh, he agreed with me. It was worth about seventy five, but I'll say he was being greedy. So, and uh, but we started putting offers in the end of June uh, for around fifty five thousand dollars, and then we were incrementally raising the bid a hundred, two hundred fifty dollars a day, and uh, basically, uh, in the next fifteen days, we submitted a bid on July fifteenth for sixty five thousand five hundred. We put the bid in; it was rejected. I called him back. What do you want to do? He's like, well, "Let's just wait a week." We'll put another offer in. They haven't taken this one. What's going to happen? Two days later, on July 17th, HUD accepted an offer for $41,237. So it was $24,263 less than my client's offer two days prior. And it was less than every offer he'd ever made. Yes. I bet he was upset. Yes. That was uh, one of my nightmares. And tried to explain that to someone. <laughs> it, it makes no sense, but this is how the system works. So, and the listing agent, they won't ever pick up, you know, can they? Is it legal for them to call you back and say, Brian, we had a price drop, You're, you should get your customer to make another offer? Or they just, you know, they're not paying that much attention? Well, I mean, on a HUD property, we're not going to know. I mean, I have no idea. Okay. So, on a regular well, listing, that's a different was scenario. Was this one of your listings? This is one of my actual listings. So, this is your listing and your buyer. Yeah, and I still had no idea. So, and it just, it finally came oh. down. Okay. You know, and you see, like I say, to try to bid on the stuff 90, 120 days old, but here they were, you know, this was almost 150 days by the time they finally said, fired it up and said, just took whatever they could get. So, this could be one where. He could have just made that offer every day or every other day. He he could, have, yeah, if we would have consistently kept making our offer like we were, we would probably would have got it on the 16th or the 17th. For about 68000 Well, for, yeah, or 66 or it probably would have been around. And I know this, the person that bought it actually resold this property in about two weeks for $75,000, right where, right where I said it was worth. Without, uh, without doing anything. Without doing anything. He just, he, he just wholesaled it out and you know made almost <laughs> a little over thirty grand. God. All right, let's uh let's talk about the ten keys to a perfect offer. Right. I, I tell I tell investors now the market seventy percent of my my listings go to multiple offers the first week they're on the market. So the days of 
submitting lowball offers when a listing first comes out is a way it's a waste of time you're wasting your realtor's time you're wasting your time if you're going to work the market work the listings that say were overpriced that now sat on the market the asset managers they're getting worried their jobs dependent on making sure these properties move if they're not selling them they need to get them moved so in the end you need to work the agent inventory so i say submit the highest price possible you know i know you want to get a good deal on it but you know, if the price, if the house is priced a hundred thousand and it's been on the market for seven days, don't put an offer in for sixty grand. It's not going to get accepted. You know, be realistic. Make sure your numbers work. So I, again, start with a higher price if possible, and then two, make it cash. I know a lot of people buy with lines of credit or uh, with private money or hard money. You know, mark your offer as cash because that is a cash offer. You have funds available. You just have to go get them. So a lot of people will market financed even though it's a line of credit, and that's a mistake a lot of people make. Uh, three, definitely put no contingencies on the contract. If you're a professional investor, you should know when you walk into a house, if you want to buy it, move forward and make that decision. If you want, if you're questioning whether the property is worth it, then get an opinion from your contractor prior to making the offer. Because at this point, you're not going to have time in this market uh, to do that. And they're not going to accept it because there's going to be another investor bidding on it with no contingencies. And I've seen it where lower offers with no contingencies beat higher offers with contingencies, both cash. So it's a big deal for a bank. They want to make sure they want to know it's going to close. Uh, earnest money, always make sure it's at least a thousand dollars on a on a foreclosure, and if it's a higher priced house, make sure it's one percent of the purchase price. So if you're buying a two hundred thousand dollar foreclosure, just make it one percent of the purchase price. So make it two two thousand dollars or what, whatever the price may end up being, <clears throat> and then uh, make sure the uh, earnest money uh, gets held by the listing broker. Some of the, a lot of the banks require it. Uh, It'll save you a lot of time and trouble at the end if that's the case, and you don't have to write two checks or drop another check off in another agent's office. So just go ahead from the get-go, make it out to the listing broker. And then another mistake, make sure you send a copy of the check for that property with the offer. A lot of times, if you don't send the earnest money check with the offer, the bank's not going to take it. So they want to make sure, and that's a, for legal reasons. If there's no consideration given, it's not a valid contract. And then next, I would say make sure make sure you get a proof of funds are less than thirty days old. A lot of times, I know it's a pain. You got to call the bank manager, and say, "Hey, Jane, bank manager, I need a new proof of funds letter saying I have X amount of dollars in the bank." But make sure that's updated every thirty days. That'll get your offer kicked out if it's older than that. Uh, if you're buying through a corporation or an LLC, make sure you send the corporate registration paperwork from the state and your uh, corporate resolution stating you can sign for the corporation with the contract. A lot of a lot of companies want that, a lot of banks and lenders want that now. HUD, when you submit in a contract package, requires that to be sent in as well. Um, another key a lot of people don't know about is set the closing date for the third last business day in a month. And this is when the bank ends their month. They do not end it on the 30th. They end it on the third last business day because they will make sure whatever close the wire goes in, hits the account. They still have one business day left. But realistically, for accounting purposes, the 29th is basically their last day. So make sure if you want your offer to look good to a bank, set it for the third last business day. When they see that, they're going to know you're a professional and you know what you're doing. So if the 30th is a Friday, set it for the 27th. 27th. 
Tuesday. Right. So the funds will all be cleared in, in their bank. Right. Okay. Because their actual accounting period is going to end probably on that Thursday. So, but they want to make sure the money's in their account. On it. Especially it's bigger on the end of quarters. Right. So, okay. And then if you're going cash and you want to make your offer look better, I always tell people, do a two-week close. 90% of the time, the bank's not going to be able to close in two right. weeks, but you want your offer to look better. If if all is the same and there's one guy that's going to close in 30 days and someone's going to close in 14 days, they're going to take the offer that's going to close in 14 days. So that's a trick. Another trick also is increase your earnest money. Usually I say it's $1,000. If you're in a multiple offer situation, offer five. If you're going to go no contingencies on a contract anyways, what's the difference? If, if it's not going to close on time, you can get your money back, but it'll make your offer look better. The, the bank will know you're serious and you want to buy. So with that $5,000, like this person's committed, and I seen it just about a month ago where we had cash offers the same. One guy had five, one person had 1000 They took the one with five. So it, you may have the same price as other investors or even less, and they may take it. And it makes your <clears throat> offer look it just, more serious. Yes. Yeah, because it's a business it's a business decision for them. It's not an emotional experience for them. They wanna they have an asset, they need to sell it, and they want their money. So that's it's <laughs> no invo- emotion involved. And then finally, make sure all your contract and addendums are initial date and signed properly. I know these bank addendums are ridiculous. I think the one that Fannie's what, twenty six pages or something like that now. I mean in the HUD contract it's daunting and hard to fill out. But it make sure all that's signed properly. And I also had a case where on the signature page they sent it back because they hadn't initialed at the bottom, even oh, though yeah. it had their signature. Yeah. So initial every page, even the page that has signatures, doesn't make any sense, but I you know, with the even even the HUD properties, the second page, the instruction page to the HUD contract, if you don't have that initialed, sometimes they kick it back. Even though it's not in the instructions to do that and there's no place to initial, but sometimes they'll reject it for that. So it's sometimes you follow the rules and <laughs> and you still lose. I've also know that some experienced buyers, they don't have any patience, and they'll get they'll try to do as little as they can because they're filling out a lot of these offers, and you really have to sit on them and make sure, oh, wait a minute, you didn't initial that page, you, you know, I, I've, and then when, when it doesn't get initialed, three days later, the offer comes back, there's back and forth and faxes and phone calls and meeting people to get signatures. It certainly t- saves a lot of time doing it right the first time. Exactly. Well, and with HUD, you get two chances. You, the initial shot when you submit the offer, then if there's something wrong with the contract, they will send you an email and say, you forgot to initial this page and you didn't send this form. If you do not send that in correctly the second time, they're going to cancel your contract. Great. All right. Uh, well, uh, we're out of time today. Uh, this has been great. Brian, thank you very much, uh, everyone. Uh, you come here, Brian, tomorrow at the Cincinnati Real Estate Investor Association meeting. Otherwise, uh, successful investing, best wishes, and Vina will be back next week.
KB Reading, Ohio.